Proverbs 30, we're going to start in verse number 1 and read the first nine verses here. Starting in verse number 1, the words of Agur, the son of Jachai, even the prophecy the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Ukal. Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who hath ascended up into heaven or hath or descended? Who hath gathered the wind into his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If thou canst tell. Every good word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. And add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me lest I be full and deny thee, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, and take the name of my God in vain. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you in this time as we gather here on a Wednesday night prayer service. Lord, I pray that we'll glean what you've had for us to glean, what you've preserved in your word for us to have in this day and this moment and this hour. May we understand what Agur's prayer and understand just two requests that he put before thee. May we apply it, apply it to our lives, Lord. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. We pray that wherever your word is being magnified today, Lord, that if someone be lost, that today be the day that you save the sinner. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. In the word of God, we've kind of been navigating through different places in the Bible where we can glean from people's prayer lives. There are books and books written that you can purchase that expound upon just one prayer in the word of God. It doesn't matter whether it's Paul's, whether it's the Lord's prayer, whether it's Eliza's prayer. Here in Proverbs chapter 30, we read about the only prayer recorded in the entire book of Proverbs. It is the prayer of a man named Agur. Some try to uh, say that Agur is the name, it's a pseudonym for that of Solomon, and that this is actually Solomon's writing, but it seems to be discredited in the very first verse when it says the, the word of Agur, the son of Jacay. We can't know for sure who is the author of this text, but I don't think that the reason that the Lord had it preserved was so that we could determine what the author, who the author was, but it was more what the author had to say. And ultimately, the author is the Holy Spirit. It would seem that this verse, verse would disqualify it, but what's important here is he's of the lineage of Jackie. 
There's no linkage to this and throughout the entire word of God to this family line. This lineage is not famed. Matter of fact, the only time we see the name Agur is here in Proverbs chapter 30. He's known here for praying as he's facing battles in his own Christian life. Matter of fact, I guess you, as I take in the account of what Agur is saying here in Proverbs chapter 30, I kind of feel like Paul over in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, we see Paul preaching about grace and grace and grace. And when you get to Romans chapter 8, you see grace and grace and grace. But in Romans chapter 7, Paul begins to express all of the things he is facing in this Christian life. He, uh, he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, those things I do do. And though he lives in the Spirit, he also knows that there is another war inside of his members. We see here a man's prayer who says, Remove far from me vanity and lies. He recognizes even as he is in the spiritual even as he's facing battles in his own life, he recognizes that the only place to go to overcome battles is to the Lord. Yet we see a man going to the Lord, acknowledging that he has found him in himself in a position where he is maybe facing vanity and lies in his own life, or he has found himself surrounded by people who are indulging in vanity and lies. He takes this problem and makes it a matter of prayer. Agur's intercession teaches us several important lessons about prayer that we all have to apply to our lives. The first thing we see here about Agur's prayer, we learn from Agur's approach. We see that here in verses 2 and 3. Surely I am more brutish than any man and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have the knowledge of the holy. He is preparing to open up in prayer by declaring his own ignorance apart from God's enlightenment. He is declaring to us here, not only does he have a problem, but he views himself as less than others around him. And he views that the only way that he can be enlightened to overcome these problems is through divine enlightenment. Surely I am more brutish than any other. He entered into prayer with the deep sense of his soul's limitations and lack of understanding about how to overcome these troubles. This is how we need to approach prayer in a state of humility in a state of acknowledging that we are nothing in this life and that we are truly beggars coming to our Heavenly Father seeking His help to overcome the battles in His life. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Yet, in verses 7 and 8 and 9, He exercises this great power of prayer. He was a plain person. He recognized heading into prayer his own simplicity. 
He, matter of fact, you could assess from his first uh, his statements about himself in verses two and three that he believed that he lacked and had little natural ability. He even felt that he was below others' intelligence, yet the Lord opened his understanding, revealing to him great and precious things, and giving this wisdom to impart to others. This is an interesting thought. That how Agur views himself is nobody in the world's eyes. I'm nothing. I'm nothing to even brag about. Yet what we see in the very first verse, that the words of Agur, the son of Jackie, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Ukal. This prayer is not only recorded here for us to glean from, but there was a specific recipient in this time. This prayer was recorded so that Ukal and Ithiel could learn how to approach the Almighty God. When you approach the Almighty God, it is in the step of humility. It is in the recognition of who we are before him. This is to give insight in how we should approach. Yet in the same breath, he was being moved by God to write. That's what Peter teaches us in the word of God, that he was moved. The holy ones of old were moved by the Holy Ghost. The ones of the old times were moved by the Holy Ghost. Agar was ignorant in his minds to man's standards, but he was far from ignorant because he could hear the Lord's desire. You know, when we live our Christian lives, when we step back and say to ourselves, who are we? This is a good place to be. It's not a bad place to be. It's a bad place to be when we live our Christian lives trying to justify that we need to be more in order to be more for God. Here, Agar viewed himself as absolutely nothing in man's eyes. Yet, God said, you are more than valuable than you ever know. Not only that, I'm going to take your prayer and your petition and record it and teach my children until the end of time. We devalue ourselves because we try to value our Christian life according to the world standards. When we say we are nothing, this is a good place to be before God because it places us in a state of humility. I love it because throughout even the Old Testament, even when you get to the book of Amos, when you start there in the seventh chapter of Amos, Amos was so overwhelmed that God would use him because it was, so to say, out of the norm. When you get to the seventh chapter of Amos, he says, I'm not a prophet. I'm not neither the son of the prophet. Matter of fact, I was out plowing the field. I was out following the sheep. And the word of the Lord came unto me and said, go prophesy unto the king. It was about... Amos's relationship to God, which, allows to, uh, which allowed him to be a tool to be used by God. It is to be reminded to all of us in this approach to God. In order to be used by God, we must first approach God with the reality we are nothing and we will only be something through God. Second thing we need to see is his attitude here. Two things I have have I required of thee 
Now, he has not gone from declaring his ignorance to following up with a demand put upon God, telling him that he has required him to do anything. No, indeed, he, he's saying here, two things I have asked you for. Now, there's something that we should see here in the end part of this. Two things have I required of thee. Deny them not before I die. He has a petition that he puts before God, but he also recognizes there is a time restraint in this answering. Deny them not before I die. This is an important detail. He did not tell the Lord what to do. He didn't claim any promises. He did not uh, use a force of faith. He did not write his own ticket with God. He did not try to manipulate God to produce his desired reality. Without a doubt, Agar's prayer is earnest and urgent. Yet he simply asked that he wanted God, like a servant addressing a master, like a child talking to his father, like a sinful man addressing a holy God. He just wanted God to answer his prayers, and while he's yet alive, remove this vanity and falsehoods from him. Remove these lies from me while I'm here. He recognizes that while he's living is while he's facing the battles, because when he's dead, all problems are gone. And it's not because he's dead, it's because he's with the Lord. He recognizes that in this life, his battles should be his prayers are focused on the situations that are ahead of him. This is how we should approach God in prayer. Humble, submission, not arrogant, presumption. We must learn before we get to laying out requests to God just exactly who we are, and that's his confession. I am no one. Now, we need to learn also here, not only do we say that he had a calculated prayer, not only did he have an understanding approach, not only did he know those things, but he had a spiritual ascendancies, meaning when he approached in prayer, he was not praying in light of foolish, trivial or superficial things. Rather, his prayer was in weight of eternity. Two things he asked the Lord for, deny them not to me before I die. Two, he was praying and asking God to give him some things, to teach him some things prior to leaving this world. Now, why is this important to us? I mean, what, what can we really take away from this that a man would just say two things I have required of thee deny them not to me before I die you know from the outside that you would say man Agar is coming before the Lord and he's saying Lord I put these requests before you and you have a short window to answer them but that's the furthest thing from what he's saying Remember what Agur said, I mean what Moses said in Psalms 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And by this standard, because Agur was praying in light of eternity, according to Psalms 90 and verse 12, Agur could be considered a very wise man. You see what Agur was saying, when you pray knowing that one day you're going to die, when you pray that knowing that your days are numbered, it causes you to recalibrate. 
It causes you to be realigned. It causes you to make proper prayer requests to pertain to the life that is to come and not the one that we are living. He numbered his days. He was in touch with his mortality. He lived in light of eternity. But what wisdom comes from this? As Agur spoke to Ithiel and Ukal, the wisdom he is passing on here is just like this. When you pray and you remember that life is but a vapor, as James says, if you will remember that this is not your final resting place, then you will pray. When you pray, you will enter into prayer, just like Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. You see, when you enter into the prayer closet, you should be praying like Agar is. I know my days are numbered, yet, Lord, hear my prayer. When you recognize that your days are numbered here, you're not going to be laying it all up here. When we realize that our days are numbered, it changes how we pray because instead of praying for the things of this life, we recognize that Hebrews 9.27 is just as real for the saved person as it is for the lost. When we pray, we're going to remember that God is sovereign, that life is short, that death is short, that hell is real, that eternity is long. Have you ever wondered why Satan attacks prayer? We've been talking about this for the last several weeks on Wednesday nights as we've been learning and discussing prayer. We discussed a couple of weeks ago about how even it's, it's just... It's dreadful that how even when you find yourself tucked away in your own prayer closet, that Satan seems to find a way at times to distract you even in your private place of prayer. But have you ever thought of this? That the reason that maybe your prayer life doesn't get attacked like you hear other people talk about is because our prayers are not affiliated with building the kingdom of God. Have you ever thought to yourself that the reason that Satan, when he arrives and hears you praying your prayer, that he says, this prayer request that's going up before God, I'm not going to intervene on this. I'm not going to affect this because this prayer request will not add one brick into building the kingdom of God. This man, though he says he's trying to serve God, he's building the kingdom here for himself. He leaves it alone. You see, this is what we're trying to assess from Agar here. Agar says that our prayer lives also applies to Matthew 6.33. When we pray, we should also pray, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We should pray seeking God's kingdom first. We should pray seeking God's will first. We should pray trying to work for him first. He had a proper approach to God when he prayed. He had a right understanding. And when he prayed, he prayed with wisdom. Pray with godly wisdom. We've studied in the book of James, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God and give it to all, who, give it to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given to them. Oh, what a privilege that we can pray to God and get wisdom and he provides to us without chastising us. 
This is another lesson that Agar teaches us here. Agar apparently processed things in his mind and in his heart into an organized list. Two things have I required of thee. Two things I have asked of thee. When is the last time that you spent the day strategically planning what you're going to beckon the throne of grace with? You see, the thing we have to understand here that maybe doesn't apply to us, but in Agar's day, there is absolutely no way that you would go before a king or that you would go before an ancient dignitary and just start rambling words. You had this time in which you would appear before the dignitary and you needed to know exactly what you had to say. You had to be prepared to speak. And so it is. He says, two things I have required of thee. It is to say that Agar has spent time preparing that when he goes to meet the king in prayer, he's spent time in his mind working through all the affairs of his life. And he says, when I go before the king, I just have two requests that I'm going to put before him. It's not about wealth. It's not about these riches. It's not about earthly goods. It's not about healing my problems. He wants his spiritual life to be healed. Remove these vanities. Remove these lies. Remove these things that prohibit me from walking closer to you. What Agar is saying is that if my spiritual walk is fixed, I can handle anything else. But if my spiritual walk is messed up, everything else around will cause me to fall. So he says, Lord, these two things I've asked of thee, the two things, and hide them not before, and, and, and deny them not before I die. Meaning, I just want to experience at this time in my life, at some point in this life, your power and your grace in my life, where all of these vanities and all of these lies are put away from me, remove far from me vanity and lies. He prayed intentionally. He prayed specifically. He prayed purposely. Agar knew what he wanted in his life. If we was to put two things before the Lord in our own personal life, if it was to say two things I have asked of thee today, what would be those two things? If you knew that God was going to answer two requests for you today, would you just run in and give them? Or would you spend time thinking upon them? This is what Agar did. He reverently brought his request to the one who he knew was willing and able to hear and heal his ailments. How, if we were to ask this request before the Lord, how long is our request that we offer up before the Lord this evening? How long would our list be? What would be on our list? Who would it show that we're living wise? Would it show that we're living foolish? Is it a short list? Is our list, if we was to break down our list, would our list reflect what godly wisdom looks like? He asked God to take away the things in his life that blocked his pursuit of godliness. Then he asked God, not to give him anything that would detour him from his pursuit of godliness. He says that, verse 8, remove far from me vanity and lies, 
Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. I, listen, Lord, it, the things that I want gone are the things that's prohibiting me from getting a closer walk with you. The things that I want you to add for me, don't. I don't want to be poor or rich. I don't want to have any of those things that could possibly keep my eyes from being on you. One could conclude that this prayer succinctly summarizes wise people and how godly people pray. When we pray, this is exactly how we should pray. God, remove things that block me from a pursuit of a godly relationship with you. On top of that, the things that you bless me with, don't bless me with anything that's going to keep me from having a godly relationship with you. This is his prayer. This is where Agra starts his prayer. Remove far from me vanity and lies. These are his two concerns here, deceitful speech and falsehoods. Basically, vanity and lies. Vanity, which refers to anything that's empty or without value. And that's exactly what vanity is. It's a falsehood. It gives a false value of something that's not real. It's that which is empty, meaningly worthless. He, he Agur prays against falsehood. He confronts the deceitful. It's an act of saying something you do not mean. This is what deceitful means. It's an act of saying something you do not mean in order to take advantage of another person. Deceitful speech is un, it's unbecoming of godly people. Matter of fact, when Peter handles this, he... Peter lists in First uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 21 that deceit is one of the first things that need to be stripped away in order for us to be able to grow in the sincere milk of the word. Likewise, Peter also goes on to tell us that Jesus is qualified to be our Savior because he committed no sin. And he goes on to say, and there was found no deceit in him. That is just a praise moment for all of our lives that we can trust God's word. I mean, how many times have we heard people who say something to us about how to fix a problem or how to come up with a solution? And we say to ourselves, well, this is what they said, but I'm not sure if that's right. And this is what they said, but I'm not certain whether I believe it. While we doubt people because of their deceitful ways, because of their vanities, because of the falsehoods that people in this world give, when we come to God's word, that which is unbecoming of a believer, we don't have to worry about in the word of God. Because why? Because there was no deceit found in his mouth. That is just a praise God moment. Jesus is our righteous standard. And as followers of the Lord Jesus, it is the challenge upon all of us to get rid of falsehoods and vanities. It is the challenge upon of us, to all of us, to stop lying to stop giving these vanities, to stop the dishonest speech. Matter of fact, to be honest with you, falsehood and lies, they're twins, but they're not identical. In this aspect, you can give a falsehood and be telling the truth. But in the way you use it, it's false because you're trying to bring about something that benefits you. You ever seen somebody do that? Tell you the truth, a portion of the truth, and it is the truth. But it's not the whole truth. It's a falsehood. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 22a that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. God hates liars. 
So Augur prays wisely, Agur prays wisely to remove far from me vanity and lies. He's making this request clear, though it seems, like I said, the context of it may not be too clear, whether he was praying for his own personal commitment to truth or whether there was some kind of embedded sin even in his own life or whether there were people surrounding around him who had sinful habits of speaking falsehoods or deceiving him or speaking vanities around him. No matter what it is, this prayer request is a declaration of the war against temptation. That's just what we face here. This is his heart. I want to live for you, God, but I'm warring as I'm living for you with all of these temptations, all of these vanities, all of these things that are going on. I know they're of no value, yet I find them in my life. Yet I find them around me. Yet the world puts them before me, and yet they make them look appetizing. Lord, remove it and take it far from me. Remove it far. Matter of fact, I guess you could say that his prayer request here would be in agreement with our Lord's prayer in the model prayer in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13 when he says, lead us not into temptation. He's asking the Lord to lead him to a place far away where he could fall into these traps. Take me to a place where I'm not going to be in this situation. Agur asserts every word of God is pure and he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. And this could lead us to, in verse 5, he says, that he goes on in verse 6 and says, And unto his words, let he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. It leads us to say that this is a stern warning. Agur prays that God would not only remove the falsehood and the lies far away from him, but that God would judge them. And that he would give them the rebuke. The connection of these two proverbs suggests that he may have been plagued with these falsehoods even in his own life. And he wanted God to deliver him from them immediately. We do not know, as I said, which one is reading, but either way, it points us to the same thing. He prayed for deliverance from vanity and lies because he was why? too weak to deal with it himself. That's what we have to recognize. We are just too weak to deal and to overcome vanities and the things of, these li of this life all by ourselves. This is why he petitions God. This is why he starts off saying, I'm weak, I can't do nothing. But yet his recognition in this prayer, asking God to remove him is saying, I can't do it. I can't do it by myself, yet I need you to remove it. Remove far from me falsehood and lies. He makes a, this prayer request here in closing, makes an important theological assertion. Not only is God able to remove us from liars, but he's able to remove lying from us. Not only is God able to remove falsehoods, not only is God able to remove vanity from around us that's trying to tempt us, but he knows how to deliver us from vanity. He goes on to say, lest I be fool in verse 9 and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of God in vain. 
And even in the last part of A, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Recognize what he's saying here. Not only is God the one who can deliver him from these things and deliver, um, and deliver him from those things or even in his own life, but he goes a step further in this weak, feeble state. This is the, really the wise prayer of a weak man. This is what he says. Not only can God do all those things, but it is God and God alone who provides for me riches and food. He recognizes that God is the source of both poverty and riches. Have you ever considered that? That's what he says. Give me both, whatever one it is. As a matter of fact, don't give me either. But on the other hand, just give me what is convenient for me to have. My only request, Lord, is that you deliver me. The takeaway from this prayer here, the challenge for us in our own spiritual lives is that we will learn to pray to treat strategically. This doesn't mean that you pray and, you know, at times I'll do this at times and I'm sure we all do pray as we're on our way to work or pray as we're thinking about this or we say, Lord, help me with this. Lord, help me with that. Help me. But this is also to stay that we should be doing strategic evaluations of our own spiritual life. Have I found myself in a place where I'm struggling with vanity? Have I found myself in a place where lies have found themselves acceptable? Lord, if there be anything that I'm experiencing in my life that's keeping you from uh, keeping me from you, remove me from it. And in the same approach, when we enter into the throne room of grace, we need to recognize we are nothing. Yet through him in Christ, we are everything. And God alone hears our prayers. We should be strategic in our prayer. We should survey our own spiritual lives. We should understand that everything that we have in our life is from God and God alone, whether it be poverty or whether it be riches. But the thing that we have to realize through this prayer, he makes clear to us, if we have a close walk with God, poverty is not going to bother us and neither is riches. If we have a close walk with God, being something in the land is of no importance. If we have a close walk with God, God will take our faithfulness. And though the world may not recognize us, though we may not be praised by those around us, God will take our humble prayers and use it to educate the up-and-coming generation. You know, hey, the world looks around and says, well, they're happy because they have this. And we're standing here and say, well, we praise God and we have a joyful life and we don't have none of that. We prove that the world's thought process and agenda or propaganda is total falsehood because the only joy and satisfaction you can have is in Christ. And so the words of Agur, the son of Jacke, the even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and call. This is his words. This is his education. This is his passing on to these people and his passing on to us through the Holy Spirit that we should be wise when we pray and our prayers should not be about this life 
but it should be a kingdom-minded prayer. That should be the focus of our whole life. God, if you answer my prayer, let it be something that I'm going to do for you here in this life. Because it's wise for us to recognize that we number our days. We ration everything at home that we like. I'm not going to eat them all now. I'm going to ration it out. We like to ration everything out because we don't want to use it all up. We apply this principle to everything except our lives. When we recognize that our days are numbered and yet we have this call upon our life, we do not ration it in, in the aspect of uh, living it for the Lord. We live it all for ourselves. This is why we got to be kingdom-minded, kingdom-minded, kingdom-minded. You may go to Wendy's because you're hungry, but don't forget the kingdom. You're not here to eat at Wendy's. You're, you're here to win people to the Lord. Now, Wendy's could be nice, but don't forget you're here. God is intrinsically using you in a situation to build for the kingdom. That was his prayer, kingdom-minded prayers. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen us, Lord. Give us wisdom when we pray. May we have the uh, proper approach when we come before your throne, Lord. Not haughty of ourselves, not prideful in ourselves, not uh, praising ourselves for what we've done or anything that we've accomplished because we've accomplished nothing outside of you. Lord, I pray that you'll Help us to be wise and to always be mindful of our spiritual walk, Lord. Be mindful of the things that we allow in our life. Be mindful of the things that we give ourselves to, Lord. May others around us see the concern and the care and the preparation we put into our walk with you. And may they see the value that we have in being uh, unified with you at all times. Lord, we give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.